Hello and welcome to the inaugural CCA monthly podcast. Every 30 days or so, I'll be chatting to various people around the CCA, see what's going on to create a patchwork of the various performances, visual art events, exhibitions, installations, and even radio broadcasts that are coming out of Socky Hall Street's famous venue for all sorts of arts across the boundaries and across platforms. Later on, I'll be talking to the originators and founders and creators of Radio Freenia, which will be happening throughout May. I also get to talk to one of the artists who's got exhibition in the main space but first of all I'm going to go downstairs to the cinema where I'm going to chat with the artistic director and director of the venue itself Francis McKee. Once again in the cinema with Francis McKee. Francis, how would you describe your role or your job title? Because I'm never quite sure. I call you the head honcho or the boss, <laughs> but what would you call yourself? I think I actually have two titles, both, both of which start with director. One is just director and the other is artistic director. But in fact, both jobs are rolled into one because I, I'm just as much concerned with the toilets and the drains and the roof as I am with the artistic programme. Okay, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about the artistic programme. And I know this is <laughs> a very predictable... Not the drains. Well, we might get there. Depends, <laughs> depends if I run out of questions. So how are the drains going at the moment? They're a fascinating but subject. I'll take your word for it. Okay, I may come back to this one. But the artistic mm. programme here is very distinctive. I know this is a mm. question you get asked a lot. It's something the CCA has become well known for across mm. the country, even internationally, I think. Yeah. Mm. What, what's the artistic director role all about here? Um, it's maybe two different things one is there is the program itself which i think is strong um but also there's the approach we have to the wider programming of the building and that's what's also attracted a lot of attention in that we give away a lot of the spaces and 90 percent of what happens here is other people's events Mm -hmm. other organizations individuals under their own name which we're facilitating marketing under their name, 26 festivals a year, all sorts of different ideas and programming that we simply accept and market and don't interfere with. And then we have our own program, which is kind of like a, an example or a line in the sand to say this is the kind of work we're interested in. So it's not mainstream, it's more experimental, and it's also supporting local artists and international artists. So that's what we do, and we do that um, through several art, uh, curators, uh, I hope successfully, and then everyone else comes in and curates beside that. So it's a very mixed set of curators right across the board in, in the city. I could be wrong about this, but my impression is that what leads your own programming is mm. what happens in the visual arts in the galleries is that totally. fair to say it's very fair to say and that's what our funders think that we concentrate on the visual arts and we keep the galleries the galleries are the only space we keep to ourselves so it's really our core program is the gallery exhibitions the public engagement program and the residencies that happen in the creative lab and the other thing oh. that's a year-round presence is the creative tenants that <laughs> Yeah. People that are in here, so BHP being the example, because I share an yeah, office with them. Indeed. But yeah. there's quite a few of them, and they put things yeah. on as well here, don't they? They do. In fact, it's in their contract to put on things. <laughs> but only, uh, it's a very minor aspect of the contract, which is simply that if they're working in here, we have to keep in touch. It's very easy because most of them are on the third floor. BHP is, again, kind of hidden behind the creative lab. So you can quickly lose touch, but the program actually keeps you in touch, and you keep talking. Otherwise, 
you know, you suddenly find there's a resentment about a bin somewhere that no one has talked about for six months. So that way we get through all of that quite easily and keeps us and keeps them using the space, us using the space and knowing more about each other. And because of this <coughs> core activities, is there a certain kind of person that you attract into the building who become part of the open source programming? Um. Oh, that's a difficult one. It's also a diplomatic one. Um, I'm going to ask lots of awkward <laughs> questions like that, I'm sure. Um, it's, I suppose it's people who are interested in fairly kind of niche programming at times or left of field programming. We're the place you would come to if you think no one else would want that or that's weird or would people be open to that or accept that or... That's the kind of programming we get. We don't get mainstream theatre. We don't get mainstream anything to a degree. We get the things that are left of centre of that, where people go, I would really like to do this, but maybe it's a smaller audience or maybe other people might think it's weird or Cineworld might think it's not commercial. Um, and Our spaces are different scale, different sizes. We do music that is taking more chances, I think. And not just us, the cafe actually programs music, but something like Counterflows is one of the great experimental music festivals in the UK. And we kind of totally support that and I think are very open to that and they know that. Mm. And the same with the, the Improvisers Orchestra. That's quite a strange concept, Glasgow Improvisers Orchestra. But we totally for that. So these are the things that we think, yes, we would love that to be here. And they're very regular as well, the improvisers. There's a whole series of people. We've got 26 festivals roughly a year, and they're pretty much predictable in terms of they want to come back, and we want them to come back. Um, so say Zine Fest has been on, I think that's, I don't know, three, four times. BHP, the Comic-Con, elements of that, it's outgrown us, as has Counterflows, but we still are a kind of base element of that. Those things are always on at a certain time of year, uh, Squiff as well as another one. Um, so all of these things keep coming back, and then we get the rogue ones where someone comes in and goes, I'd like to do this one-off event, or someone decides to start a programming, a cinematic program, or performance program, and some of those come and go, and some some last and become regulars, some uh, kind of extinguish after maybe two years. Depends what they're doing. There's a big one coming up this weekend, isn't there? Keanu Fest. Yes, and that's also related to Kijorama, I think. Yes, Nicholas Cage. Um, yeah, and Matchbox. They're yes. all, yeah. <laughs> which well, are all. I'd noticed that one become <laughs> a little bit of a media celebrity. There's articles all over yeah. the place for Keanu Fest, which yeah. is surprising because it's quite a oh. niche festival, as yeah. you say, but it's getting national coverage. But he's such a cult. He is. You know, I follow him on Twitter and look mm-hmm. at all those sad Keanu faces. He's just such a strange, beautiful cult to just keep following. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> he seems somehow to have managed to stay in that place whilst being yeah. the guy who does John Wick. Yeah. Yeah, John Wick's fascinating to me. But also Nicolas Cage is the same. Mm. He just continues to have a profile beyond the mainstream. Yes. And therefore any film he's in is going to work, but might not work in mainstream cinema terms, Mm. so to speak. But that's okay. They've transcended that. He absolutely has, hasn't he? The, the blank canvas <laughs> upon which we project our own fantasies in yeah, many ways. Yeah, totally. And Keanu even more than anyone. Yes, yes. So I'm not surprised that's popular. Mm. <laughs> absolutely sold out. So mm. by the time you hear this, it will have been done and sold out and everyone will have enjoyed themselves immensely. <laughs> yeah. But it's that interesting yeah. space that CCA mm. occupies. It's right in the town centre. It really is. So yeah. it has oh. it's a cafe that's very popular, a vegan cafe. It does, cafe, vegan thinking, cafe. Which uh, also promotes events and gigs. Yeah. Totally. So there's, there's always something going on and mm. well, it really is incredibly busy, isn't it? I mean, how, how do you it cope is. with the amount of stuff that comes through the doors? 
ah, it's everybody else. <laughs> we have a really good team. Like, it's unbelievable, as you say, how do they cope with it? And it's quite a small team. But the coordination of everything, so say Alex Mizik, that's incredible, the amount of work that he's, you know, and that the work has tripled over the last 10 years in terms of what we have coming in as a program around it. Um, but then the, you know, front of house, JD managers, everybody, are really good at coping with that scale of things. Mm -hmm. And it keeps relaxed as well, I think, somehow. And the audiences are very relaxed. That you know, Everyone kind of understands mm -hmm. the nature of the place and how we're working slightly on a shoestring mm -hmm. and kind of accept that. So it's not the same demands as you might make if you went to the Citizens or the Tron or Cine World. But I think that's what allows it to be quite an open space. It feels very inclusive. Yeah. When I walk across the balcony up the top and I look down mm. as I'm going out to have a cup of coffee yeah. outside, the diversity of people who are here, and it seems yeah. that the, the doors are open to anyone. They are, and people come here because there's a certain non-commercialness to it and mm. a kind of certain, almost an element of crappiness. I <laughs> I'm not going to go that far, but okay. <laughs> I would, because the building itself smacks of kind of late 90s, early 2000s, glass, steel, metal, professional. You know, it could have gone another direction. And we actually kind of keep dragging it down to some extent to make it feel comfy and to make it feel like it may look impressive, but actually everyone's welcome to come in, just sit for as long as you want. It's free Wi-Fi. There's a bookshop. You know, it's kind of that kind of casualness. We work quite hard. And that plugs into mm. the history of the building. Yeah. For me, there was yeah. a moment in around 2000, 2001, mm. where it reopened and it became mm. it, its contemporary, contemporary centre for arts. Yeah. But before then, going back, it was always mm. in that, that comfy, mm. slightly off-kilter, non-mainstream alternative work that came through here. It was. And the building kind of reflected that, and that the building was slightly falling apart. Mm -hmm. um, but everyone felt very comfortable with that. And then for a moment when it reopened, everyone didn't feel comfortable because it suddenly felt a bit too brand new mm -hmm. and too shiny. And that has managed, we've overcome that, mm -hmm. I think. And that's partly things like the cafe and the program and everyone who works here has mm -hmm. gone against that kind of pompous your attitude that the building could have invited. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's that sort of corporate sense. I think it had a little bit of that in yeah. the early 2000s when it was still a new yeah. build at that point. Now yeah. it's starting to yeah. feel a little bit less yeah. contemporary in that sense. <laughs> it's got it its old, slightly feels old fashioned almost. Yeah. And there was a sort of notion that the corporate was going to be the way to go. Mm. And actually, it, it isn't particularly in Glasgow. It's not a very successful route in terms of the arts. No, because I, I suppose you can compare to other places that are not exactly developing at the same mm. time as somewhere like the artist which is now closed which had a strong corporate element to it as well it's not yeah. there anymore yeah. a lot of other places like tramway aren't quite so dynamic as they were at the beginning yeah. of the millennium so th there's all these changes and mm. has just gone along its own path quite happily i think yeah i think it's because we sort of fell below every radar mm -hmm. <laughs> we just felt we w became completely irrelevant in a certain way and I learned this from Bob Dylan. There was an interview with Bob Dylan where he said, you know, how do you feel? Do you not feel irrelevant? He went, yes, I do. It's so wonderful. Mm -hmm. Now I can do anything I want and nobody cares. Yeah. And I can just do the things I want to do, do them really well. Mm -hmm. And there's a core audience that will follow that and grow. And as long as you keep not trying to be relevant mm. in a way yeah. and stay under the radar, then actually, ironically, paradoxically, you become relevant in a funny way. Kind of on the controversial <laughs> questions. I'm going to be awkward now. We've got a month coming up mm. of events. Is there anything you would pick out and say, go along and see this, or I'm excited uh, about this being here? 
Probably, well, I'm probably thinking more about the visual art program right now. Mm -hmm. So I'll go to um, Amelia Beatrice's mm -hmm. event. I, I like the, ex the exhibition that's just opened. It's amazing. So I believe that Amelia has a bit of a history with the CCA. They do. Um, they were here first several years ago as an intern. We actually trained them to become a beekeeper. The bee uniform, the hat, everything. And they became a beekeeper. But with ever no chance to really practice that within CCA itself. But now they're back working on bees, partly on Puerto Rican bees, as well as Scottish bees, and also on moss, uh, which has got a very interesting history with the Macintosh building as well, apparently. I can't tell you what. Don't want to spoil it. After they were working at the CCA, I believe they yeah. went away for a while? They did. They did other solo projects, became more of an artist, really worked up their artistic profile. Went to Puerto Rico, where Emilia has relatives and has origins, and lived there for several years. And there's a ton of moss coming from Cove Park, probably literally a ton of moss, mm -hmm. which is already in the building. We're trying to keep it wet for the show. Uh, so that just crosses over so much. We want to have a beehive. We're trying to start a seed library around the same time. So there are all of those things that are not just the art, mm -hmm. but the extracurricular interests that we think are useful to be thinking about while we're doing art. I think that's one of the things that I'm going to find out in the next couple of months doing this podcast is mm. all the idiosyncratic projects that are just going on, <laughs> as you say, under the radar a little yeah. bit, because I, I was expecting you to come mm. with a couple of bands that were coming up, or, but <laughs> it's the moss and the beekeeping. It is. The thing. Well, there is, a, uh, I can't ever say their name, Otoboke Beaver, mm -hmm. the Japanese band, who are kind of a younger female Japanese punk band that used to come with Shonen Knife, who are an older mm. Japanese female punk band, and now Beaver are coming on their own, but that continued music mm -hmm. um, from such a strange source yes. that, that yeah. one Japanese female punk band can come here and sell out every time is pretty amazing as well. And then the support mm. band can come back and yeah, become the thing. Yeah. get that audience as well. I'm so glad yeah. you mentioned them because yeah. that's actually what I'm going to do now is I've ah. got it, one of their <laughs> tunes and I'm going to play it. So ah. just all I have to say is thank you very much, Francis, for taking the time. I'm sure yeah. I will invite you back again in a couple of months when I've got through some of the yeah. other people that are hmm. doing quite yeah, programming style roles. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you.
detect a slightly different level of sound in the background here as I am moving across to the south side of Glasgow to meet LJ to talk about Take Me Somewhere Festival in Tramway. <laughs> Welcome, LJ. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Not at all, not at all. Well, I guess it's a little bit of a holiday for me to come over on the south side, but Take Me Somewhere is coming to the CCA. Yes. Can I ask what you've got coming to the CCA? Yes, we have the wonderful Nissan's Beige Bitch, uh, which will take place on the 22nd and 23rd of May. And we've also got um, Farah Sally's Brexit Means Brexit. Oh, okay. Can we just start with the Brexit Means Brexit? Because that's a bit of a contentious issue at the moment still, isn't it? I mean, were you expecting it to be staged in the context of having achieved the Brexit, perhaps? Yeah, it's really interesting. This piece of work was made some time ago, and yet seems its significance seems to extend, which is totally fascinating. Mm-hmm. And actually, I kind of feel personally that I need this piece of work more right now than I even did when we were considering putting it on. So, yeah. So that's good, and you're programming, you're enjoying the programme more than when you put it together. I am, I am, and that can happen with the programme, can't it? It's, it's like an organic process, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's good. I think we can probably hear the rain outside rattling down on tramways, old tin roof somewhere. It's quite cosy though, isn't it? It, is, it feels well, nice. Actually, it sounds it feels a little nice. bit like a storm. But I'm going to probably have to raise my voice a little bit more just Great, to get over okay. the top of it. Uh, Beige Bitch as well. Now that's one of the what, iconic images, I think, for the entire programme, isn't it? It's one of the big... Big hitters? Yeah, it's amazing. And um, what Nima's dealing with is with sort of media mediated images mm-hmm. um, and black identity. And, and this image here is taken from some of the film work she did. And yeah, it's really rich in that sense. Visually, it's like a really striking show. We were lucky to see a run through the other day, and I'm really excited about people seeing it. That people are going to go wild for it. Can I ask what take me somewhere? Because it does sit quite distinctively within the seasons around Glasgow and the shows that we're getting. Is there a particular vision that you bring to it that you feel goes through all of the work and is identifiable as a take me somewhere show? I think think I'm just interested in change making and work that's truly new. So whether it's taking us somewhere in terms of our taking us somewhere. Do you like that? I like that. Like yep, that? that just yep. tripped off the tongue. Um, taking us somewhere uh, in the political sense, but also in terms of form. So anything that's basically knocking things down and rebuilding them in, in the broadest sense is what I think Take Me Somewhere is about. Mm-hmm. And it came very much, I think, from your work in the arches as well. So it carries on that tradition, although it's closest to the Pavia Festival, I guess, that used to be part of the arches. Definitely. I mean, it's born straight out of the Behaviour Festival. And I think the thing that Take Me Somewhere has in common with the Behaviour Festival is that Behaviour was an international festival presenting Scottish work, but responding to the interrogations that already existed within Scotland. And I see Take Me Somewhere exactly in the same way. Take Me Somewhere in a similar fashion is not just bringing in the most radical work from outside, it's bringing in work that speaks to the interrogations of the Scottish artists. So it's very much a festival, I think. I mean, I've come from a kind of artist development background. That's like my main push. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it speaks directly to those interrogations. 
So it's really for Glasgow. It's a really Glasgow-specific festival, I think. I think one of the things that excites me about Take Me Somewhere, and particularly those things that are happening at the CCA, I think since this is the CCA podcast, it's I better mention that every so often. It's strong, it's strong. That it, it, it certainly does a lot of work to, to cover representational basis that we're not necessarily seeing elsewhere, and I'd say across Scotland. Is that something that's at the back of your mind when you're programming, that you want to bring in different voices and different experiences? I think that um, oh, sorry. Mm. Uh, I think it's less to do with me making that decision. As I said, I'm really responding to who we are right now, uh, what's important to artists and audiences in Glasgow. And we're highly politicised and we understand that sometimes the most important voices are coming sometimes from the margins. Um, so really it's the work in Glasgow that dictates that rather than a purposeful decision to kind of find work. That but I think you're right, that's where the interesting work's coming from a great deal. A lot of the stories that we've heard in the past aren't speaking to us in the same way or there's a struggle to put contemporary stories into traditional structures that just doesn't come off a lot of the time. So what you offer an opportunity for us to see is work that is unashamed of engaging with its identity and willing to ask contemporary questions. That, that seems to be a big part of it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's definitely everything that we show is couched in the moment and nothing's backward looking or retreading old ground. Mm -hmm. That's something that we're definitely not doing or trying not to do. Just go back to Beige Bitch as well. You were saying you've seen a development of that. Where, where, where are the company from? So Nima's based in Glasgow mm -hmm. um, and was a graduate of the CPP course. Um, and Farah Sally, who's presenting at the CCA as well, is an Edinburgh-based artist. Mm -hmm. um, and these are artists that absolutely can present alongside their international peers. Uh, and I'm really, really excited about directing an international gaze on them. Because in Scotland, we have a lot to be proud of. And I do believe we've got these change makers. We have, you know, confident artists with something to say. Um, and yeah, the CCA programme is definitely that representative of that. And it's great to be able to roam about the city as well. Because you've got quite a few things here in Tramway. But CCA, are you going anywhere else this year? We're going so many places. So we're everywhere from the T1 main stage to um, we're even going to the Cairn Gorms. Really? What, what one's that? It's Into the Mountains, Mount ah, Kenyon's yeah. piece. Mm -hmm. So there's a bus that actually takes audience members from Tramway up to um, Glenfeshie. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the furthest we're travelling and the furthest we've ever travelled. Mm -hmm. But we're also taking over a disused post office in Paisley. Uh, we've commissioned a new work, uh, which is Brian LaBelle's piece, Binge, uh, where people are invited to um, partake in the watching of box sets with different artists. Oh, wow. It's exciting. So we're working with Katie Beard and oh, Luigi yes. Parry as well. Uh, so, so from Paisley to the Cairn Gorms, mm -hmm. to the T1 main stage, and to, of course, the CCA. And, of course, the CCA. I think I should leave it there and get back to the CCA as well. But thank you very much for your time. It's been great to chat. Thank you. It's been great.
And I find myself now in the CCA cinema chatting to an artist who is bringing an exhibition for the next month or so, Free Rain, which is starting at the beginning of the month and going straight through to June the 2nd. Shadi Habib Allah, welcome. Thank you. And welcome Welcome. to Glasgow. Is this your first visit to Glasgow? This is actually my second visit. The first, I mean, probably it's it's like my first visit because the first one didn't count. I just came for one night Mm -hmm. and I didn't get a chance to see anything. I came to the CCA here and... We we just we stayed for the night and I left the next day in the morning. Um, but this is this you've been here for a week. You've been installing your exhibition, Free yes. Rain. Can you tell me a little bit about what that exhibition's concerned with? Um, the exhibition deals with welfare uh, and the whole policy of welfare and how, uh, like how 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 we actually like we don't see what's going behind it. And what it prompts people to think of it. Um, at the same time, it's it's it more than anything like uh, it, it deals with welfare, but through the lens of what is the qualifying appearance uh, that uh, makes uh, a welfare recipient uh, worthy of getting uh, mm-hmm. the the benefits. You kind of tuning into something that's quite a big issue now with austerity particularly in Glasgow we're seeing the effects of that and the nature of welfare and whether there's a moral dimension to it as well in the way people are treated and they're acting as if poverty is a moral sin almost yes because uh, and i and i think it's 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 more more than anything what i find interesting it's how it's seen it's it's a sin it's almost looked at as a sin as if somebody's not doing the work enough and doesn't even qualify as a as a citizen because i think it also opens up questions even now with migration and, and other issues like what 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 if you come as somebody as an outsider what can you offer to this country to qualify as a citizen and even for people who are but but the thing is even more horrific is that people who have been living for a long time i mean people who are citizens and been living here for a long time they are not even the, this idea of them being part of the community is almost is almost questionable mm. the whole time so i think this is very interesting aspect especially to what's happening now and within the political climate um Yes, so so I'm addressing these issues in 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 Florida, uh, but of course it kind of extends back to the whole history in the U.S. and it also applies to other places throughout the world. And I think it's even very relevant to the current issues as we were speaking about it now. So, have you come over from Florida? Is that where you're based at the moment? I was. I've been living there for a while, long time ago. But I've been going back and forth. But I haven't been living there for for some years. But I still like frequently go there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been there for the last two years to work on this project. Um, and specifically, I had an interest to, work, to do some research on it. And uh, when I went to do this project, you know, you come with an idea and then slowly start, starts unraveling more things and it opens up more issues and gives you even like you're surprised when you have more understanding rather than you have like a research of a specific, you want to get to a specific goal, you kind of surprise yourself to find something that you never expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was very interesting. I think it's, it was very important, uh, significant experience in that sense. Yes, I mean, yeah, it, it was quite surprising. And I think like also it, it, it makes you look at things in a different way after a while. Um, yeah, through through this research. The impression I get is one of the things you're looking at is the way that these welfare or benefit systems impact on local areas and sort of almost like geographical or uh, locations around the city and what the consequences are of that is that an important theme in this exhibition yes it is um 
but but then yeah when i was looking at it i was looking at these issues how how kind of it changes the the face of the city mm-hmm. or the the face of of a local of of a you know a, an area but at the same time you also what i found again in in that research what i found interesting is how this was set into motion uh, historically to kind of change these areas in a specific way and to kind of almost yeah, and then all the elements starts playing in that direction. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, when another shift happens, things start moving in another direction. So so there's like things meant to go in a certain way and it builds up in that direction. Then, you know, any any kind of uh, recent changes would, would prom- promote it to go in some, some you know, like an unforeseen um, result. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I don't know. Do you, yeah. I'm also quite interested in the way that Clearly, you see art as being something that has a relationship to society, as a place to discuss issues. Is that generally in your work, or is this particular piece has this social political dimension that's not common in the other things that you do? No, I think it's common in my work. It's, it's it's always I think the question is always like what is the function of art, or how much, and it, and it's at the same time it's always a tricky question because it's a grand statement to say like oh it's something to, that affects some kind of a change. Uh, like an immediate change mm. or something that just adds up uh, and opens up uh, yeah, yeah, like pushes for some urgent uh, questions uh, but for me it's also like part of how to get even in my work involved locally and uh, and usually the works kind of take a long time and uh, you know something comes out of it for me in the end I think the work for me is is when I'm actually doing the work and how, like the dynamics of the everyday, while while I'm, you know, interacting with people, how it changes, you know, and shifts, and then what comes out of it's kind of relationships that usually kind of stay for a long time, or uh, they don't end up after the project is done. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of like that immersive uh, uh, work that you get to feel things more of in a nuanced way rather than just have it. Uh, done as a distant research or more just like a, a thing that you kind of dive in for a moment and then you move out mm-hmm. and, and the work ends. I'm going to ask a question that I know is deeply unpopular with artists, so forgive me before I ask it, but what's your medium? What do you usually work in? What can we expect when we go into the gallery? What are we going to see there? Uh, okay. S- sculpture, video, and installation in the mm-hmm. end yeah but uh so, so do you want me to uh, to tell you specifically about the pieces or not necessarily? i was going to ask that next so yes is okay. there any any particular pieces you want to draw attention to before i go in to see it this evening um i think i think one of the pieces uh which um like somehow somehow i think i think usually that I, I i think that i wanted to highlight that i don't like when i do a, a research I don't like it to be very much present in the work, the actual work, but it functions as a background for me. Um, in this work, what I found interesting is that this spe- specific piece about uh, the Oprah Winfrey show, mm-hmm. uh, an episode from nineteen, I think eighty-two, which probably, I mean, I don't I have to check my the facts exactly, but I mean, it's around. It's, I think it's the third episode that was aired, aired uh, and uh, it, it talks about welfare. Uh, it's a welfare debate. And again, like I think the 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 kind of like how I I came about to this 
piece and in the end decided to show it was was interesting for me because you know it was about a political economist uh, called David Elwood who was uh, yeah professor at the Harvard University um, and he's kind of like somehow I came across re- reading reading about him and then he's he's also talking about the the, the show from Oprah Winfrey and about this other uh, professor called uh, uh, Lawrence Mead, who, who who wrote this book Beyond Entitlement, uh, which again he's criticizing uh, welfare recipients, and and somehow you, you know in that in that episode you, you have almost you know they, they, you can see that there's it's it's, it's very biased, and uh, should I end here? <laughs> no, no. Well, I, yeah, yeah. I'm very excited because yeah, yeah. Th- there's a good example of how some of the questions we're asking now about austerity, about whether welfare is a, a moral sin or a social injustice, mm. all those things, was going right back to the early '80s. It's a historical debate now, really, and that's something you were saying in terms of your research and picking up on themes and and the development of things over time as well. So. So that's one for me to look out for tonight. Can I ask you a little bit about your background as an artist? What has brought you to this point in terms of making installations? What inspired you and, and how did you get here? Um, in that, like, particularly, not locally here to Glasgow. Well, no, just yeah, as yeah, an yeah. artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Making the work. Um, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess I, I, I was doing, I studied undergrad and I was doing, I found myself doing sculpture, more, mm. more kind of class, classic, classical yeah. in a way mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, I think when I did my masters I was like dissatisfied with what I was doing before so so that's why I went to school and to, to do to pursue my my master's degree because I wasn't happy with what mm-hmm. I was doing before so it was a nice break and I started making uh, there was a, a like a, this film that I wanted to make because of, of people that I knew also in Florida um, so I started working on that and that kind of opened up uh, uh that particular engagement uh, in these issues and, uh, and and the approach as well. And then again, with the background practice, sometimes it involves the sculptural elements, but mainly I think like I'm more comfortable with working with film mm-hmm. and video and, and these. Uh, where, where did you study? Where was your I did my university? undergrad in uh, Bet Salel, which is our academy in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I did my master's at, uh, at Columbia University. Mm-hmm. So... In the U.S., so whereabouts is Columbia in the U.S.? What part of the USA is it? Because I'm never sure. What uh, Columbia University? Yeah, it's it's in New York. It's a New York University. Yeah. Wow. So you spent some time in New York, and then and then Florida, very different. Florida, Florida, because I was working there before. I used to go there. Um, I, I visited one friend one time in the summer, and uh, I was running out of money, so he told me, "Hey, why don't you uh, work uh, for a bit and make some money?" So that's how I got. I got almost hooked mm-hmm. uh, into, into, you know, you make some friends and then you want to go back and come at that. And, and it's, it says somehow it extends over years. It's been like 20 years ago. So, so I almost know everybody, how they, like their kids and, um, you know, the kind of communities. And it's great to have that connection, isn't it? Connections around the world, really. And I'm going to go back to my first question about Glasgow. This is kind of the second time you've been here. You've had a bit of a chance to look around. So apart from the CCA, which, of course, is the best place to come, and I need to say that in the CCA podcast, have you enjoyed your time checking it out? And is there anything that you've really been struck by while you've been here in Glasgow? I mean, uh, I have been, I've been advised to go see the necropolis, Mm. Which is, but you've not been yet. 
I, no, I've been. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I, I've, this is this is yeah. I went I went to see the Necropolis and uh, and it's yeah. I mean, I was I was looking at the details. Some some of the details, even I don't know if you call them tombstones. Yes. Not, yep. Some of them are, but but then others. You know, you have where where you have the letters, the metal red letters, which are kind of attached to the tombstones. Oh yes. Some of them yeah. have been removed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they was moved in a specific way. So you start thinking, oh, this is, is this vandalism or or other ones uh, 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 that that kind of removed the the, the son and the daughter while left the parents. Uh, and I think like, oh, it's, it's a dispute about uh, whether this uh, the kids uh, are part of the family. Uh, uh, but then I understood that it's it's uh, it's a hangout. Uh, yes, for teenagers. It very so much almost, so. Yes, uh, yeah. It's a significant yeah. part of mm-hmm. uh, that's right. I mean, like that, a, that's how I see it more as a place where people go and hang out rather than actually what it is, which is a very big cemetery yes. that overlooks the city. Yes. Which I'm sure <laughs> there's something interesting in the urban design and planning of that. Yes, as a yeah. message to the people who live here. Well, thank you so much. I'm, thank I'm glad you've had some fun going to the graveyards of Glasgow, and uh, I'm looking forward to the opening tonight. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Radio Vrinia, 87.9 FM, the light at the end of the And so for the final quarter of the inaugural CCA podcast, I'm going to try and be a little bit more experimental. In a moment, you will hear my interview with the organisers of Radio Freenia, an event that is coming from the CCA onto FM radio during May. As it goes along, you will hear extracts from work that is going to be part of the festival, including pieces from Kukina Pavora, Miko Saito, David Tidoni, Carrie Robertson, Roy Claire Potter and Kieran Piercy and Ryan Frame, and they'll be intruding into an interview that explains everything about the magic of radiophrenia. I live within the forest, in the shadows, under trees. I grow a kind of lichen on my shoulders and my knees. I like it in the forest, my mattress made of moss. I use a twig to brush my teeth, and spider webs to floss. For my final interviews for this episode of the CCA podcast, I'm delighted to have my greatest rivals as far as radio making antics go on in the CCA. Two men behind the magic of Radio Fina. Would you mind introducing yourselves first of all? I'm Mark Vernon. And I'm Barry Burns. Well, welcome. And Radio Freenia, when, when does it start off? The 13th of May. Mm-hmm. And, and we're on the air for two weeks. Two weeks, and all coming out of the CCA? Um, pretty much. We've got one unusual for us. At first, we're doing an outside broadcast from Platform mm-hmm. in Easter House this year. On the 18th. Uh, but other than that, we are broadcasting from what is normally the artist's flat... Uh, and there are also a series of live-to-air performances from the theatre. Now, one of the things about Radio Free News, Francis McKee was saying earlier, there's certain festivals that come back 
all the time. They're always here. And I guess you're becoming one of those. Is this the third year? The now? fourth. The fourth year. I'm a year behind. And has it changed much over those years in terms of how you curate it and how you program it? Um, the first year we only did it for a week. Mm-hmm. And we had a live performance every night. Since then, we've done two weeks. Although there's usually been a year and a half between mm-hmm. iterations. It's kind of... The format's fairly locked down now. Every day we all present a new uh, commission for something that's been produced and there will be five live-to-air events. We worked out doing one a night is just ridiculous when we're trying to run a 24-hour radio station as yeah, well. I can see I can see how that would be quite, quite challenging. And what was the inspiration, Mark? What was your inspiration for being involved or creating this project? Because it came from nothing, really. There was nothing like it, and it was just magically appeared. What got you going on it? Well, I mean, as artists who've been working with radio for, for quite some time, we, we kind of make work for different art radio stations around the world. And really, yeah, we just asked ourselves the question, why isn't there something like that here in, in Scotland? So we decided we, we'd make it happen. And do you create and work yourself for this as well? Or do you let other people do it? Um, mostly other people. We, we, we've sneaked ourselves into the schedule in some uh, discreet, uh, mm-hmm. discreet places. But uh, yeah, and, and I should have said as well, the vast majority of the work in the schedule, it comes from um, an open call. So we have hundreds of hours of work submitted from all around the world and we kind of make our selections mm-hmm. from that. Now, you talked about commissions a little bit. Can you tell me about some of those this year, all the live events that you've got? The mere five of them that you're going for. So when we commission people, we kind of, uh, we go for the mixture of people who are sort of established radio artists. The idea is to introduce them to Scotland, but also to uh, commission work from local artists and sometimes artists from other mediums who just have something about their work that we think could translate well to the medium of radio. Mm -hmm. So visual artists, writers, etc. Annoying question. It seems very much that you're in accord with the principles of the CCA. You're eclectic in the choices that you make. You've got this open source approach to programming, letting people come to you, but also a little bit off the beaten track as well. And visual artists, the overlap there. I can see Cryptic, who who do a lot of work, they're a cultural tenant here. So so they they would be in a similar area to you, I guess, in terms of the eclecticism and the crossing over boundaries. What keeps you motivated from year to year? Why do you keep bringing it back? I mean, pretty much every year we kind of go, not doing that again. But A, we keep realising there's things we 
we could do better, <laughs> that we, oh, we didn't do that. But also, we do this open call and we discover people that we didn't know they existed. Mm. And we're like, they're really interesting and maybe we should commission them if we mm. come back. Who have you got commissioned this year? And, and I know it's awful to say who are your highlights, but if we stick to... Uh, well, some of the commissions haven't arrived yet, mm. so uh, I think it's fair to exclude them because we haven't heard them. Uh, Callie Robertson, who is a Scottish artist but living in Rotterdam, um, has sent in a piece about a hermit, which is this kind of witchy, incantatory, but very funny and odd um, monologue. With, with odd sound effects. She's recently, uh, although I think she's mainly a filmmaker, a visual artist, she's recently become interested in sound. Mm. And I think it's, you know, one of our duties is to kind of encourage successful visual artists to kind of become poor and miserable by moving over to radio. Ladies as Pimps, who are... Um, known as a musical group, um, have uh, produced a work which is kind of about friendship. It's it's very funny, but it's very poignant um, and kind of features the hustle tapes and their WhatsApp messages and recordings of them relaxing in the Arlington baths. So there's a lot of different qualities of audio in there, which is quite interesting and... Um, their, their personalities come over and it, it's I guess it's kind of it's quite an interesting meditation on collaboration and double acts oh well that's something do you, do you count yourself as a double act because you work we're together pretty quite much a lot, the, we are the, the canon and ball of the avant-garde I think that's a bit of a dated reference you're going to have to update <laughs> that with somebody little and large oh no that's about the same era isn't it so Morecambe and Wise no yeah, who's little and who's large? I don't want to get into that conversation. That, that's too controversial for wherever this is going out. That's way past my payload, I think. Torval and Dean of the avant-garde radio world. Okay, we're going to pause so the people can take that down, write it down and use that in any article that is subsequently written. And one of the things about Radio Freenet is the eclecticism across it because you've talked a little bit about music there, but it's also kind of sound art as well, isn't it? Is there anything about sound art you think that it can do that other art forms fail to do in terms of imagination or engagement with people? Is there something that keeps you coming back to this as a process or that you feel that the radio station has that's special or unique? Well, I mean, radio is an ideal format for a lot of sound art. I think that's the thing. It's always notoriously difficult to kind of present sound art in, in a gallery space, for example. And a lot of the work that we're interested in really, I think it kind of activates the imagination. It kind of takes voice, kind of field recording, sound effects, music, and blends those things to kind of create something um, in the imagination of the listener. So those things were drawn to, and also kind of more more conceptual pieces as well. So there's, uh, yeah, kind of a huge variety, really. And I think that there's things about the medium of radio, there's a, an immediacy and there's an intimacy. And to carry on the alliteration, I think, with a lot of the work we're broadcasting and idiosyncrasy but radio is very much a domestic medium and I think that means that you can broadcast kind of quite difficult or challenging work but it's not as intimidating as it is if you're in a white cube and also potentially you're able to heal it without 
the bleeds from a cafe and from people chatting and yeah, all the things that I don't really like about sound art in galleries. And just as you were saying that, I think we heard some coffee <laughs> coming outside. <laughs> we're pretty good at keeping this a contained space, but I can still hear that. I hope I can edit that out. The smell reminded me of fresh wheat. The word broadcasting is interesting as well because you're talking about broadcasting, but a lot of the work is niche, as you say, and it's idiosyncratic. Is broadcasting an important idea for you in terms of radio? For is it's getting the ideas out there a real key part of what you want to do? Yeah, it's hugely important, and and it's hugely important to us as well that it's an FM broadcast that people can tune in on the radios, and it's not just digital. Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's one of those things that that captures people's imagination. You know, there's a very different kind of feel to knowing that something is kind of travelling through the airwaves for you to receive it to receiving it by by kind of digital means over the internet, and so that's something that we yeah we're we're committed to continuing really. Wonderful. I was going to ask you about where are you transmitting those. So it's FM. Do you have a frequency for that? Yes, it's 87.9 FM. Wonderful. 87.9 FM. Two weeks in May? Yes. And online at radiofrenia.scot. Well, thank you so much. I believe we have one of your artists is just waiting in the wings. So (laughs) let's get rid of you guys and and, and invite (laughs) an artist on. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. As always, I'm feeling slightly intimidated to be talking to somebody who actually makes art through the medium of sound rather than just shambles around in the cinema or the CCA trying to make a podcast. We have with us now one of the creators as part of Radio Freenet. Would you mind introducing yourself, first of all? Um, hi, my name is Catalina Barroso Luque. You can tell that I was trying to avoid mispronouncing your name there. <laughs> and, and what's your contribution to Radio Freenia? Um I've written and I'm directing a live performance mm-hmm. with a, another female actor called Marta Soriano. Mm-hmm. So what's your background? Are you one of the people who's been brought in from another medium to yeah. use this sound? Oh, great. So what do you usually do? Um, I usually work as an artist. I work a lot with installation, writing, and I do a lot of curatorial work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think from writing, I started doing working with actors, um, just exploring the voice. Mm. And how do you feel about being part of Radio Freenia? Is it an exciting or terrifying? No, I'm super excited. Mm-hmm. I submitted a piece like two years ago, mm-hmm. which I did with another actor, um, which was quite fun. It was the first voice thing I did. So, mm. yeah, I'm super excited. Great. So can you tell me a little bit about the, the content of, of the work and what, what where does it come from? What was the inspiration for it? Um, the inspiration was kind of having living in the UK for about nine, ten years, um, forgetting my Spanish and then thinking that English was like this parasite mm-hmm. that was eating my tongue. But there's also this weird fish parasite that actually does eat fishes. So there's literally a parasite that does that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I went to Mexico for a bit. And then I just got very angry at like maybe like misogyny and like silencing a woman. And then there's this text um, called, um, I guess the translation would be the Labyrinth of Solace. Mm-hmm. 
and it's super famous and it talks about Mexican identity and um, La Malinche, which was Cortez's translator slash lover. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a bit unclear because she was a slave. What is the nature of that relationship? And this um, well, it's a there, really well. That's exactly it, and that's kind of what the piece kindly does. It talks about like translation and notions of consent and power um, in in relation to the tongue. Mm. Um, so, I was very angry at this text, which was written in Spanish. That was portrays... it actually the text that angered you? No, and like being in Mexico angered me, and then I felt very complicit for just writing in English as well. Mm. Well, tell me more about that. So you felt using English in some ways a complicity with a colonial and oppressive power. Yeah, but I think, I mean, it's, I've been living in Glasgow for almost five years. It would be very weird if I just wrote in Spanish. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of really contemporary questions in there as well, because the thing about the silence in the female voices, yeah. that seems to be a, a, a massive concern culturally at the moment. So, so you're coming in on that. But is it quite a personal journey into that for you? Um, I think it is quite personal. I mean, uh, my father's family is very, very Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am Mexican and that is like a big, mm-hmm. I think like, yeah, notions of silence are like a really big thing mm-hmm. about who gets to speak. Like I, like just being there, like I often, if I'm with my brother, people will refer to my brother and ask direct, speak to him directly rather than to me. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. So that's also another theme as well of thinking about different cultures and their different relationships. And and obviously you're picking something out of there that's a continuity of a kind of patriarchal oppression that I think we do find that in Glasgow as well. I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) I don't think we can absolve ourselves of responsibility for that kind of work. No, no, no. And you're working with an actor, you said. Yeah, and I'm working with an actor. I guess I've been doing this project and it'll be like for the whole year on in, in, uh, looking into parasitic relationships mm-hmm. both like quite literally like this fish and yeah. its parasite and I'll be doing some other work in Dundee but kind of using that more as a metaphor for interpersonal relations mm. and maybe like cross-national relations. Mm. So do, do, do you see the sort of patriarchal culture as being a parasitic culture on people's lives is that how you define it? Well I think like parasitic relations can take a lot of forms it doesn't always mean that the host has issues Mm -hmm. like with this fish the fish continues living and the parasite continues living and then one of them dies and then if the fish dies if it because the parasite dies too but they don't they kind of live together yeah so it's kind of like it is it isn't like a very straightforward relationship Mm -hmm. and i'm quite interested in through working with another Mm -hmm. like what is the relationship between us and how that is engaged in by working with two languages Mm -hmm. so i've been right like i wrote the script but then kind of like keep rewriting it with her. I know you're using two languages in it as well. Yeah, so the text is written in English and Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the first text I write in Spanish. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, artistically. Yeah. Well, of course, I was, I was wondering, so a lot of your artistic practice has come through English language rather than Spanish. Mm-hmm. And, and that's an interesting cultural imposition on yourself. That's the parasite again, isn't it? Really? Yeah, exactly. Operating, that you, you're asked to use a language that is not your, so I say, mother tongue, is that... Okay, appropriate yeah. word. And so you're literally moving into a different linguistic register when you when you work in art. Yeah, but I think like because I live in the UK, I kind of live in another linguistic register. Mm-hmm. So it's not as unnatural as I'm trying to make it sound there, really. No, I think the thing is to become very natural. Um, and I'm quite interested in how you become a different person in a different mm. language and maybe exploring what are the assumptions on like embodiment and experience and gender and 
in relation to how you act in that language and what what you are because mm-hmm. you kind of like you are what you say in a way i think you've asked answered a lot of the questions i was going to ask and now i'm floundering a little bit but one of the things that's exciting is you talked about it in terms of a live performance yeah so will you have an audience in the space with you as you're recording no the piece will be live mm-hmm. oh yeah i guess yeah they will be recorded yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah <laughs> yes. so it's live and then it yes goes out, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes there will be people looking around and there will be a moment where it'll turn into like making trying to make maybe the audience a bit complicit mm. um so the audience is actually an important part of what you're going for. Yeah, I think in most of my work, the audience is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe in this one, it'll, it'll be a bit more subtle, but like in my other works, I do try to like, like I've made this other recorded piece where they made the silicon organs mm-hmm. and they had recorded pieces of prose, but you had to, they came, they had like cables coming out mm-hmm. of these like silicon and inside they had audio players yeah. and then people had to like literally plug themselves in to listen mm-hmm. so it's kind of like it, it was just like you need the person to take that step and then listen mm-hmm. um or i did a performance last week where i invited nine women to sit around a dining table with me and show them like other films and but it, it was kind of like you everyone was part of yes, the yeah. work so yeah it is mm-hmm. the audience is very important mm-hmm. and that's happening here in the cca is that right? yeah do you know what date it is? Um, May 15th. May 15th. Brilliant. And is it still possible to go to that? Are the tickets still available, do you know? I hope so. <laughs> right, we need to go and check that. Okay, so check at the CCA box you can ask straight Mark. away. Uh, no, I'm going to ignore them. They're sitting at the back now. Okay. Anyway, thank you so much for no talking problem. about this. It's Thanks. really exciting to talk about the kind of work that's, that's potentially being made as part of Radio Freenia. And, yeah, it's a little bit better than Radio 1 or even Radio 4 Extra, which I usually listen to. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Radiophrenia, the light at the end of the dial. 87.9 FM. Before we get into the meat of tonight's broadcast, we would like to offer you 30 seconds of noise from the recently retired ticket validation machines on the Brussels subway system. CCA podcast brought to you by the CCA and broadcast on Sunny Govern FM. And it just remains to me to say thank you to my guests, Francis McKee, director of the CCA, Shadi Habib Allah, whose exhibition Free Rain runs until the 2nd of June, LJ Finley Walsh from Tramway and Take Me Somewhere, which is running across Glasgow throughout May, and Markham Barry from Radio Freenia, broadcasting from the CCA on FM from the 13th to the 20th of May, and of course Catalina Barofo Lau, who is presenting a live performance as part of their programme. I'd also like to give a grateful shout
shout out to Julian Sam, the CCA communication team, and Kenny Christie for his technical support. If you can hear me speaking now, that's because he set me up and got my levels sorted. And a big thank you to Sarasel who provided the incidental music. His work can be found on unclassmedia.com. And of course, thanks once again to Sunny Govan FM. I've been Gareth K. Val, and thank you for listening, and we'll speak again in about a month's time.